0: If you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Mark chapter nine, we're in the gospel of Mark. And also we have an outline. You can pick that up at the ministry counter right outside the door, right out there. Take three or four steps and there's an outline. Have you ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? How many of you ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? How many like to put together jigsaw puzzles? Around the holidays, Sheila and I, my wife, will put together usually one or two puzzles. And we enjoy that, have the time, just sit around and put them together. But you ever put together a puzzle, and when you get to the end, there's one piece missing? And you're looking for that one piece, right? Because there's a missing piece. You're looking for it. You ever been to a gathering, and in this gathering, people brought food, and they brought food, and, and uh, you begin to eat some of the dessert or a dish that someone brought, and you realize there's something not right with this dish. It just doesn't taste right. It doesn't taste good. And you, you find out that there's one ingredient missing. Or maybe there was an ingredient they didn't have, and they substituted another ingredient. And it's just really, to be honest, it's just awful. And you're saying, there's something not right. It's just insufficient because there was a missing ingredient that was inside of that. I've learned over the years when listening to stories, whether it's on television with my family or even here in the church, as I listen to a story, if it doesn't make sense... It's because usually there's a missing piece of information that I don't know, that I don't have. And I have to find out what that missing piece of information is before I can offer advice, come to a conclusion, or any observation. What is the missing piece of information? Which I'm missing? I want to share with you a story this morning where there's a missing piece of information in Mark chapter 9. Hopefully, you have your Bibles there. We're in this series called Seeing Jesus Clearly because we want to see Jesus clearly. Amen? Amen? We want to see Jesus clearly, right? Hopefully you do. Uh, let me give you a little bit background on Mark chapter 9. The first seven chapters of, of the book of Mark, it's one miracle right after another. One after another. Fa- fast-paced, Jesus doing one miracle. And in those miracles, Jesus is showing that he's God that he has control over nature, that he has control over disease, that he is the Messiah, that he's the promised one. So in those first seven chapters, Jesus is doing one miracle right after the other, and his disciples are with him. But when you get to Mark chapter 8, all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit put the brake on, and it all comes to an end right there. It all comes to a halt right there. It's almost as if Jesus is directing his attention from the miracles to his disciples at this time so the disciples can learn and everything they need to learn so jesus can pass the baton on long after jesus is gone so jesus is preparing them last week we went through uh, jesus took three men uh, peter james and john up to a mountain and on top of that mountain the, the humanity of jesus was peeled back so those three disciples could see who jesus really was that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's God. and all of his glory, they got to see him. In all of his magnificent, they got to see the majesty of God shining so brightly. And those three disciples were overwhelmed with what they saw. Remember? Along with Jesus, there was also Elijah and Moses at the top of that mountain there. And remember Peter, so excited, doesn't know what to say. He said, Jesus, what we need to do, we need to stay here. We need to build three tents or three houses. One for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you, Jesus. He just said, no, no, we can't do that. See, we were not, never designed to live on top of the mountaintop. We were never designed to do that. Because on the mountaintop, we see the glory and the majesty of God. But down in the valleys, where the hurts and the needs of the people are. So God intended us, while we live this life here on this earth, that you and I would go to the mountaintop. And we would receive what we need from God. And then we'd go down to the valleys, to those who are needy, to the poor, to the homeless, to those who don't know Jesus yet, perhaps in this passage this morning, to this little boy that is demon-possessed. You know, I look at our Sunday mornings as we gather together. It's coming to the mountaintop. We're together at the mountaintop, and we, we come to come to the throne of God and to worship him and who he is and his magnificence, and we're overwhelmed by his presence. But after an hour or so, we leave the mountaintop. We go back to the valleys of our workplace in, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our families, to take the grace of God with us. To meet the needs of the people that share the goodness of Jesus wherever we go. And then we come back to the mountaintop next week and we gather together. Have you guys found Mark 9 yet? You found Mark Okay, you found Mark 9. What we're going to do this morning is something a little different, a little different, about this missing piece. What I'm going to do this morning I'm going to read a paragraph and make a couple of comments and observations. And they're going to read another paragraph. I'm going to make a couple of comments and observations. And they're going to make sure you guys are still with me. You're going to make sure you stay awake and stay with me, right? And then I'm going to read another paragraph and make a couple of observations and comments. And then I will give you two things to grab hold to uh, to challenge us this week, for this week. And that's what your outline's there. So make sure, because I know some of you are waiting. My is almost done with the message and he has it filled in those fill-in-the-blanks. It's going to come at the end. You can use the back, to all kinds of notes you can write, what God leads you to write this morning. So this morning, you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 19. We're going to begin reading. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and their teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Read this story of a man like any parent who loves their child. He loves his child. And can you imagine being the father of this child? Can you put yourself in his shoes and imagine Every day he's seen his son since childhood possessed by a demon. Can you imagine that if you're a parent, that your child is possessed by a demon? And at times he could not speak. At times it throws him to the ground. We're going to read a little bit how terrible it really was. And there's nothing the father can do about it. He's helpless in this situation. And there's no medicine for demon possession. There's no medicine for that. So when you see a passage of Scripture like this that you really can't explain, that you really can't explain, what I've always done through the years, may I encourage you to ask three questions in this order. Make sure you ask them in this order to ask three questions. And whenever you can't explain something, the first question you want to ask is this. Is there a natural explanation to what's going on here? Is there a natural explanation? In other words, is there a physical explanation? Go to the doctor or something like that. Is there something going on physically, chemically? Go to the doctor and find that out. Second, is there a psychological or emotional explanation that explains what is going on? If there's something going on emotionally, we need to check out to make sure. And after you've checked those two out, make sure it's not those. Finally, three, is there a supernatural or demonic explanation? We want to ask those questions. I think too often that people want to jump to number three and think everything's demonic. It's demonic, and we want to throw that. In this passage, though, it was demonic. But as I said, go in those, the order of those three. Let me give you two again, because some of you are writing it down. First, natural or physical explanation, ask that. Second, psychological or emotional explanation. And third, supernatural or demonic explanation. In that order. Make sure you go in that order. Don't flip the number three We get, get us all confused many times. But can you imagine? Here's this father. He brings his child to Jesus. Jesus is coming down the mountain with the other three disciples. And I want you to get this picture. So the four of them, Peter, James, and John, are coming down the mountain with Jesus. And they're coming down the mountain to meet the other nine disciples at the bottom of the mountain. To to meet it with the rest of the twelve. That's what he's doing. So they'll all be together. Jesus and the twelve disciples. And this man had approached the nine disciples in Jesus' absence. And the book of Luke tells us he begs them. As he begs Jesus, he says, heal my son. The disciples were not able to do it. The disciples couldn't do this. So they're they're arguing. And this passage seems to indicate that Jesus and the three disciples came out without even being uh, noticed. And then all of a sudden people turn around and they see Jesus, and they run to Jesus. The Bible says they're overwhelmed with him. They run to him. And Jesus sees them there. And he asked a question. He says, what are you arguing about? Now, as I said before, whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? He always knows the answer. So why would Jesus ask a question? He asked a question to try to engage people, to get them to think, so they can answer his question, because that's the question that needs to be answered. And he asked the question, what are you arguing about? And the man said, I brought my son who is possessed by a demon, and he needs so much help. And the disciples couldn't help him. The disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus said something here to to them. He says, how long shall I put up with you? In other words, he's saying, how long shall I put up with your no faith or your little faith? How long do I got to put up with this? Do you have little or no faith? But the emphasis on this passage right here that we've read is these people needed help from God. And this man is crying out to God for help. That's what we want to see. Let's move on. Verse 20 through 24. So they brought him, this boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into, uh, into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. Again, Jesus knows the answer. He wants that to be, so everyone hears he's had this through childhood. And this man understands how long he's had it. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We want to look at this passage, and there are a couple of things that we want to look at and draw your conclusion to. And the first one is in verse 22 where the father says it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. And this father, we need to understand, is very distraught. But then he uses a couple words here in verse 22, and I want you to catch that. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. We could change anything about this script, about verse 22, it would take out those two words, delete those two words. So in other words, the father would say, you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But because he includes those two words, but if, he's admitting his doubt. I doubt it. I doubt if you can help me. But if you can, you do this. And Jesus, as he always is, he picks up on those two words. He caught it, and he emphasized those two words in what he says. If you can, said Jesus. It's in other words, are you doubting me? Do you not think I can do this? Is that what you're doing? And then he gives him words of promise. He doesn't just leave him there. He goes, everything is possible for him who believes. You need to understand everything is possible for him who, who believes. And Jesus saying to the Father, do you believe with God all things are possible? Do you believe this? Do you believe this is possible with God? And he's also saying to the disciples as well, this situation here is not a matter of my ability. This situation is a matter of your lack of faith, that you don't have faith. And God can do anything. The man goes on to say, he says, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, if you read that, you look at that, it's kind of scratch your head and say, I want to say to the man, come on, make up your mind. Do you believe or not believe, right? Do you believe or don't you believe? Because it says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible to have unbelief and belief at the same time? Think about it. Anybody guilty of that? Sometimes I can be. I'll be honest to you. We can articulate publicly our faith, what we believe, but in the inside we can have doubt. We can say, Boy, God, I know you can heal this person. I know you can do this, but I wonder if you will. I don't know if you will, God. I don't know if you will. I don't know if you want to do it. I don't know. And we can doubt. Do you ever do that? God, I know you can do this and I know you have the power. I know you. But will you? Will you accomplish this? I love the fact that this man was honest. This man was honest. He says, I believe, but I just want you to know I have some doubts. I have some doubts. He's not defending his doubts. He's asking God to help with his doubts. And this is so instructive to us. This helps us so much to understand. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay for you and I to doubt sometimes. But ask God to help us with our doubts is what we do. God, help me with my doubt. I doubt. I have doubts sometimes. Oh, you're going to do this, or it's going to be accomplished, or whatever. God, help me with my doubts. I believe you, God. I believe what you say, but help me with my doubts. And Jesus was addressing those doubts, not only a part of this man, but part of his disciples, because they had doubts too, and he's addressing all of them. Let's go on to read verse 25 through 29. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So make, make, make some observations about this passage. First, I want you to put yourself in the position of Jesus. Put yourself in his position, who sees this man so distraught, and his heart has to go out to this boy who's possessed by a demon. And the man asked Jesus, said, Jesus, have pity or compassion on us. That's what it means, to have pity or compassion. And so often in the Scriptures, when you're reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it will talk that Jesus, when he saw it, he was moved with compassion. You see, that's implied he's moved with compassion. And you find that repeatedly in the Gospels. What that means, that com- word compassion, is that inner inner being, that deep-seated emotion. But it's more than just emotion. It, it's, it's that, it's that it works its way into action, what it means. That that compassion, that emotion, works its way into action, and he does something about it. If it's only emotion, it's just empathy. But it, unless it works its way into action, and Jesus had that kind of compassion that he was gonna do something about it, not just, I sympathize with you. I hear what you're saying, and you walk away. No, Jesus was interested. I'm gonna do something about it. And he was gonna help this man. He had compassion toward this man, the Bible says. Now put yourself in the position of this man with the son. While he lacks some faith, we need to cut him a little slack because he's very distraught. He's been dealing with this for a very long time, since his son's been very small. And now he's probably very extremely emotional at this time. What am I going to do? I'm helpless. He's without hope. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He, other than the disciples and Jesus, that's his hope. And the disciples couldn't do it, so he's relying upon Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus cast out this demon, finally what this father wanted. But when he looks at his son, along with the rest of the group, it's killed my son. My son died through this was so dramatic for my son that jesus takes this demon casts him out but his son dies until jesus reaches down and lifts him up and it's like a son comes back to life he wasn't dead there his son was just so lifeless that jesus lifts him up now imagine that's what the father's thinking imagine what the disciples are thinking they're looking at this thing they're scratching their head saying why couldn't we do this why couldn't we cast out this demon what what happened what went wrong there's something wrong with us And I think this whole passage really was recorded for us. So you and I could look at this. And and for the purpose of answering the question in verse 28 that the disciples asked, why couldn't we drive out this demon or evil spirit? And this is the missing piece. What Jesus says here, this is the missing piece. He says, this kind can come out only by prayer. Only by prayer. You will find some of the English versions of the Bible will include prayer and fasting. But the older and best manuscripts do not have that word fasting in there. You will not find that word fasting. So we just use prayer. It can only come out by prayer. In other words, what Jesus was saying, the work of God cannot be done in human strength. The work of God can only be done in God's strength. It can only be done that way. But the disciples are saying, we cast out demons. In Mark chapter 3, we cast out demons, same process, same procedure, same protocol, we did it. Mark chapter 6, we did the same thing, cast out demons. But here in Mark chapter 9, we did the same thing, same process, same protocols, same procedures, and it didn't work. Why didn't it work, Jesus? What's going on? And Jesus is saying to them, the power is not in yourself. The power is not in your protocols and your procedures and your processes. The power is in prayer. That's what he's getting to it. That's the missing piece. The power is in prayer. It's not in yourselves. It's in God, and it's through prayer is what he's saying. And that's true today, isn't it? When when you and I face life challenges, we need to understand that. And churches may say, we've got the best procedures. We've got the best uh, processes. We've got the best marketing. We have the best leadership. We have best job descriptions. We've got the best uh, ministries. We are a well-oiled machine. And Jesus said, but there's something missing. And that's prayer. That's prayer. Jesus said, my Father's house would be called the house of prayer. And God has never promised to bless our procedures and our processes, our protocols, but it is prayer what he says. I promise to bless prayer as you come to me and lean on me and rely on me. So let me pull this together. If you take out your outline, let me give you two principles. Two reasons to pray this morning. Uh, First one, pray to overcome the biggest challenges. Pray to overcome the biggest challenges. I don't know what you're like when you face challenges, when you face mountaintops, when you face mountaintop experiences. I don't know what your life and you face those biggest challenges in your life, but many, and I'm guilty too, we face the mountain and we rely on our own resources. Sometimes we rely on our own intellect, our own giftedness, our own experiences to go through, around, above, underneath, whatever we can to get through that life challenge. We rely on our own research, rely on our own self, say, I just gotta will myself through it. I just gotta get through this. But there's a missing piece, and that's prayer, where we come and we yield ourselves to God and rely upon Him. What do you do when you face life's greatest challenges? What do you do when when you come to those? It didn't even dawn on the disciples. I want you to see it to pray. We don't even say it didn't even dawn on them. I need to pray. And that's what Jesus was saying to them. Do you guys realize what you need to do? You need to pray to get through life. You need to pray to to be able to accomplish these things. That you cannot do the work of God through human strength. We can't accomplish what God wants us to do in our own lives through our own strength that we need Jesus. We need God and we have to pray. Whatever the challenges we have, we all have them. We all have life challenges. We all have difficulties in our life. Whatever they are, whatever challenge we are we have, let's begin with prayer and let's end with prayer and let's pray in between. Where we're coming and say, God, I can't do this my own. But I must rely on you and your strength to help me, whatever I'm going through. You and I are not recreated to do this on our own. We need God and God's help. There's another principle or lesson I want us to lock into too with this. The second reason to pray. Pray to demonstrate the love of God. Pray to demonstrate the love of God. I love that this man was so burdened by his son's condition. And he believed that Jesus couldn't make a difference. He really believed that. And he was motivated by his love for his son. And I want you to see that. What motivated him to go to Jesus? It was his love that he had for his son. And he brings his son to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, help us. Help us. That's powerful. That's love that motivated him to take his son to Jesus and pray, and say, Jesus, help me. It reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 2, where there was these four guys, and he had a, a friend who was paralyzed, and they wanted to bring him to Jesus so Jesus could heal him. So they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus is at this house, and he's teaching there, and the house is so crowded that they can't get si- inside the house. So what do they do? They go on the outside of the house, and the house is back then. But they have stairways on the outside. They climb the stairway on the outside. They go to the rooftop. They cut a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down on their stretcher so Jesus could heal them, heal him. That's love. That's dedication. That's commitment. That's love. When we pray for people, we let them know we are praying for them. That's love when we're praying for others. That's demonstrating our love for them, that we really love them. When people are real sick, maybe with cancer or a serious heart problem or a serious medical condition, we know that unless God steps in that this person will pass from this life. And sometimes that happens. When we pray for them, is God able to heal? Is he? I ask you a question. Nod your head. Yes, Nay. no, no. Do you believe God is able to heal? What Jesus said in this passage, he makes it very clear to you and I, with God, all things are possible. Remember that. With God, all things are possible, what he says. So God is able to heal, is he not? He's able to heal. We, we agree with that. So it's not his ability that's in question. It's our faith that's in question, what, what Jesus was getting across here. But if we pray in faith, if we do pray in faith, will that loved one not be healed because our prayers were not in faith? Is that what he's saying? Our loved one won't be healed because my prayers weren't in faith, or I didn't have enough faith, or I didn't have strong enough faith. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I don't think he was getting that across. The point, I think, of the passage in Mark is what Jesus is saying here. Believing enough to pray. That's it. That you and I believe enough that Jesus can make a difference in this situation. That I realize that I can't do this on my own. I can't accomplish whatever it is, and I need Jesus. And believing enough in Jesus that I need to pray for his assistance. I need to pray for Jesus to do something here. So many people are praying for loved ones, and it's not a case either of their prayers failing or God failing. It's not that case at all. It's a case where God heals in different ways. You understand that, right? He heals in different ways. And sometimes I've watched over the years that God can we pray and God choose to heal a person instantaneously, in a moment, in an instant, right? Instantly they're 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 healed. And we look at we look at them and say what Psalm 126 says, Psalm 126 when when God heals this way say, "Wow, I can't believe this what God has done. I can't believe this." We were like people who dreamed we're, we have joy, laughter in our hearts, and our hearts are filled with joy is what the Bible says. And it goes on, can you see what God has done? Can you see the great things that God has done? How great is our God? And God sometimes heals in a moment. We pray, and man, it seems like it's done. And when we see that, we're amazed, and, and we give all the glory and praise to God. But sometimes the Bible says that God heals in different ways and answers our prayers in different ways. And it talks also in Psalm 126. It talks about that we sow the seed. And, and the work and we weep and until the harvest comes at what it's talking about implying there and sometimes the healing is over course of time and it's in concert with the medical experts in our world and sometimes it can come in a week two weeks, three weeks a month, two months, six months a year years we don't know but it's over course of time in which God heals sometimes the healing is ultimate and we have a funeral that person is brought into the presence of the Lord. To realize at that moment, there was an ultimate healing. They never will have the frailties of this life, disease or sickness or any of these things in this life, whatever. And God ushers, ushers them into his presence. Ultimate healing happens at that moment. I will never understand the will of God concerning these things. I don't know why he heals some and he doesn't, some heals some instantly and others they got to wait over the course of time. And some, there's a funeral. Ultimate healing. I don't know why. But most of the time in my life, what I've seen is the second way that God heals over course of time. The second means of intervention. And, and I, I've learned so many more lessons than if God would have done it instantly. i learned so many more, more lessons that I'm praying to God and I'm waiting for God to do something in my life. I've learned a lot about myself. Many times it's not good things. That I'm impatient. And I'm not consistent enough maybe with my prayer life to keep coming to God. But I've learned so many amazing things about God during that time. How wonderful and amazing he is how faithful he is how much love he has for us that he draws us to himself and said doug I, I i you're in this situation i haven't done it right yet because you need my presence right now you need to continue to come and pour out your heart to me you need to come and do this and let my love just bask over you and just enjoy my presence at this time and i learned so much of god god knows what we need and many times he doesn't heal over a course of time or doesn't answer our prayer because God wants us right in front of him because he's doing a work on our hearts and minds. So don't don't look away and say, God, why aren't you doing this? God says I'm up to something fantastic in your life. I'm doing something amazing in your life. I'm changing you from the inside out that you will experience me in a way that you've never experienced me. You will trust me in a way that you've never trusted me. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. So when we're waiting, say, God, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting? God says, because I'm doing something in your life while you're waiting there. We're not just waiting, but there's a relationship that is bonding there and building. And it keeps us coming to God when we're praying and we're praying and we're coming and we're drawing closer to God. And that's a good thing in our life. And that's what God wants. I've learned over years when people are sick, never to assume a people's prayer request. I mean, I've went in the hospital and, and people, don't get me wrong, and it's all right to do this. People ask that they would be healed and stuff like that. And that's good. But sometimes... There's something greater on their hearts. And, and, and so I ask people, usually when I go there, how can I pray for you? And I remember many years ago, I, I went to someone who was in the hospital, and they had been in a severe car accident. I didn't know if they were going to live, didn't know what was going to happen. And I asked them, how can I pray for you? You know what they said? Pray that my older children would come to the Lord. Can you imagine it? Not about them. That's love that's commitment and that's the way this father had to his son in mark chapter 9 gotta pray for my son help him heal him do whatever you have to we pray to demonstrate the love of god has given us for people we pray to demonstrate that love when we're praying for people we demonstrate that love that i really love this person i really care if we're not praying for them we're sure we don't really care do you realize that we pray because God is the one that can make a difference. He's the one that can change things. He's the one that can do the impossible. And when we pray, not only do we show the love for others, but we show our loving commitment to God, that, God, I realize you're my source. You're the only one that can do this. I rely on you. So what I want to do this morning, I want to give you an opportunity right where you're, you're at this morning just to go to the Lord in prayer. If you've got some life challenge, or maybe you know others that have a life challenge, that you and I just stop and say, I can't will my way through this. I can't try to do this on my own resources, in my intellect, my will, and get through this, that I need God. And that's what prayer does. Do you realize that prayer is you and I come and surrendering and say, God, I can't do this, and I need your help. Or you just come to God and say, God, I need your help in this, and I surrender my way, my will, all those things. And I'm coming to you and say, God, your will be done. But I'm praying for your help. I'm praying for your guidance. I'm praying for your direction. I'm praying for your will. Help me to be understand your will. Help me to not have doubts and accept your will, whatever it is. And I'm, I want to give you an opportunity that we just pray right where we're at. Because of COVID, it's kind of hard to gather together. I don't want to put anybody in harm's way, but we, get, we can come up here if you want to come up here and just pray. You want to come down here in front or just pray at your seats. Maybe pray for your life challenge, whatever it is. Maybe to pray for someone that you know is going through a life challenge. We all have them, guys. Let's not be embarrassed of our life challenges. We all go through them. Every one of us have those difficulties in our life that we're going through. Or we know someone that is very close to us that is going through something very difficult. We need to pray for them. That demonstrates our love for them before God. The love that God has given to us for that person. It demonstrates that love. And it also demonstrates our love that we have for God. That's the missing ingredient, is prayer. It's prayer. That's what Jesus was getting across to the disciples. The missing ingredient to what you're doing in your life is you're forgetting to pray. That we need the prayer. We need to pray before God. That we need him. When we pray, it's showing God, I need you, God. And when we pray, we're showing God, God, I can't do this life without you. And we're asking God. Many times say God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to help me? And we haven't asked God for his wisdom. We haven't asked God to help us. We haven't asked him. He's not going to help us until we ask him. We have to yield our hearts and minds and ask him and pray. So I want to give you that opportunity. That's the missing ingredient. And come to a God, do you realize that Jesus loves you? Do you realize that he really loves you? And that's what he wants. He wants you and I to come to him and say, Jesus, will you help me? And that's what he's waiting for us many times. I want to help you with your friend, but you need to come and ask me. And Jesus loves us so much. He will not turn you away. He will not turn his back on you. That's what he promised, because he loves us so much. So let's spend the time. As I'm praying, if you've got something... Life Challenge, you want to pray for yourself or someone else, do that right now. And during the song, we're going to be singing, Jesus Loves Me at the end of the service. if You want to just pray, come up here or at your seats. Let's do that together this morning, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you and we, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see the love that Jesus had for people. And when someone asks Jesus, Lord, have pity on us, have compassion on us, we never see jesus turn away from them but we see him in action we see him do something about it and he responds in a, in a loving way he responds in a way lord it always amazes he always had time for people and he responds and he heals this man's son of a demon possession lord just to think of what this father was going through think of what this son was going through and jesus showed compassion and love and he demonstrated that lord help us to have that kind of love for others that we see that Jesus can make the difference. Drive us to you, Lord, and, and let us pray with our whole hearts to you this morning to surrender whatever is on our hearts and minds and say, God, I, I need your help. I need your help through this circumstance. I can't do this myself, and I surrender it to you and ask you to give me guidance, direction, and, Lord, take my burden upon you. And, Lord, so I can be free of it. Or maybe we know somebody else with a life challenge. We can say this morning, God, help them. Help them. Get in front of them, Lord. Help them see that you love them. Stop what they're doing or change their direction or heal them or whatever may happen. We ask Jesus to intervene. But, God, we're not demanding you. We're asking that your will be done. Whether it's immediate, over a course of time, or, Lord, if it's ultimate, we're going to do an ultimate healing. Whatever you want to do, Lord. But, Lord, we're coming to you and surrender our hearts and minds to you this morning, asking for you to lead, for you to guide. For your will to be done in our hearts and our minds, and Lord, we will say, it's okay. But Lord, we understand that you love us, and you're going to do what's best in our lives, in our loved ones' lives, and our friends' lives. But Lord, we need to be praying to you. We need to be engaged in you. So I pray that for each one of us. Through our lives, God, with you, all things are possible. There's nothing impossible for you to accomplish in our lives. And so, let Lord, let us surrender our hearts and minds to you. And may you receive all the glory and the honor and the praise, Lord, when things happen in our lives, that we say that's a miracle, how great is our God, how wonderful and amazing you are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.